Key Aero, your aviation destination. Military Aviation. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Air Warrior podcast. I am your host, Richard Thomas, and coming up in store this week, we're on the ground, or should that be in the air, with the commanding officer of the UK Royal Air Force's 24 Squadron, which is the A400M conversion unit, as well as with the commanding officer of the C-130J Hercules Tactical Transport Unit within the squadron on their participation in Exercise Tartan Spirit. All of that coming up a little later on in the show. The news this week. And in a change of format this week, we're going to put a laser focus on modern military group editor-at-large Alan Warnes, who is able to bring us a significant piece of news from the world of corporate acquisitions in Central Europe. Alan, over to you. Yeah, well, yesterday it was announced that Aero Vodaholi had finally been sold by Penta, who have been uh, running the company since 2007. They sold them to... Uh, Hungarian businessman named Mr. Bobrovotnotsky. Uh, so he's an 80% owner now, and Omnipole, Czech defence company, owns 20% of it. Now, it's quite significant because this was announced over a year ago, last June, I think it was, that Aero had been sold. Originally, it had been sold to another Hungarian businessman, and he was only going to own 51%, and Omnipole were going to own 49%. But the announcement yesterday came and said that uh, the new Mr. Bobovnitsky would own 80% and Omnipol would only own 20%. This effectively means that uh, Aerovodahodi, a Czech aerospace company for 100 years, is all but Hungarian now. It seems to sneak under the radar a lot of people out here. What did the Hungarian businessmen see in Aerovodahodi? Because as I understand it, they are developers of jet training aircraft and they do military aircraft yeah. sustainment and maintenance, I think, or upgrades. So I assume what the Hungarian individual, a private capacity, wants that capability for Hungary? Well, it's interesting because, of course, what Aero Vodod is developing now is the, a new generation L-39, the L-39NG. And what uh, Mr. Brovinitsky can see is obviously the long-term success of the L-39NG, which over the last two years hasn't really worked out, mainly because the Czech government hasn't purchased it. But obviously, Mr. Bogomirsky can see that the Hungarian Air Force, which is also looking for a, a jet trainer, could end up buying 12 of these, I believe, which would be a, a nice sale, particularly if it's Mr. Bogomirsky or she owns the company too. So it's a good move for Aero to be sold to a Hungarian businessman who will actually support it because the Czech government has not been supporting Aerobodahodi. Now it looks like it will be supported financially, which is going to be great for the company. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of questions, I think. What does this do for the Czech military aerospace sector? And have any commitments been made from the part of the Hungarian individual as to, you know, sustain a certain presence within the Czech Republic? Or or might you see capabilities be crossing the border? Well, that's, I think on your, your first point, uh, Czech military aerospace sector, it's going to be a huge boost for the Czech military aerospace sector if uh, the new owner can bring in new business. And if, I believe, Hungarian Air Force does buy the L-39NG, it will mean that there are a lot more people investing money into 
this project. Already the Vietnamese have ordered 12 L39NGs. Hungarians have they ordered 12, that's 24. Uh, the Czech, Czech Air Force should be ordering four, but they've been saying they're going to order four for two or three years now, but it hasn't come through because CLV runs the Czech Air Force training. CLV is a big Czech training centre, runs the Czech Air Force training. But it's a public company, and a public company cannot get the finance to buy the aircraft. So it's very complicated. But, you know, at the moment, we've only got outside customers for the NG. And when that money comes in, you're going to see a lot of the Czech companies which are putting parts into the uh, NG, like the head-up displays by Spiel, which is the Czech company. You know, you're going to see VRG, who does the uh, artificial training and, uh, and the building the simulators, getting big, big boosts. You know, these people are going to want simulators. As we know now, Richard, people don't just buy a jet trainer. They buy synthetic training too. They, they buy everything that goes with a jet trainer. And VRG Group is a very, very underrated avionics company very good at uh, synthetics, and it will get a huge boost from this buy because I suspect there'll be a lot more sales. So just finally then, it's a win for Hungary, it seems, because it might meet a potential requirement that it has. It's a win for Aerovoda Hoddy because it gets backing that it feels it has needed over the past years. This is a loss then for the Czech Republic government and the political system. Well, I guess, yeah. I think there'd be questions asked in the UK if this had happened. That suddenly we sold a company to Hungarian, eighty percent of the company, a major company like you know Aeromodoli. But the Czech government here doesn't seem to care. Even though I see that the vice prime minister was here the other day, looking around the aircraft, they don't seem to care. And I think this can only be good news for Aeromodoli, the Czech military aerospace, and Penta as well. Penta sold Aero. Probably got their money back, but there's been no financial details on this contract being revealed. Sorry for an additional final question. Pentagroup previously owned Aerovody Hoddy. How long had they owned the uh, company for? They bought them in uh, 2007. The Czech government owned it then, and then they sold it off. There was two or three bidders, uh, but I think that speaking to the uh, owner of Penta, Marek Dostrinov, about three years ago, he told me that... Uh, they trumped all the other bidders by coming up with the price that the Czech government wanted. And so they were happy. They told me they were looking to keep the company as it was. But it was interesting because they initially, in the original contract, when it was sold last June, or was going to be sold, the airfield wasn't included. Now, Penta always had visions of turning Vodahody Airfield into a sort of uh, easy jet hub. So all these package holidays and all these holiday makers could fly into Vodahodi for a weekend and enjoy Prague, but that hasn't happened yet. And I'm not too sure whether that was involved in the deal with the, with the late with Mr. Bobaniski. But uh, let's see. It was quite an interesting part of the contract when it was revealed in June last year, but I don't know if there's been a change of heart by Penta now. Interesting. Thanks very much, Alan. The latest step in a a storied history of Aerovada Hoddy. Let's see how it uh, progresses over the next 24 to 36 months. Thanks for your time. Okay, let's turn now to modern military assistant editor and podcast champion, Joseph Campion, who attended exercise Tartan Spirit with number 24 Squadron RAF in Scotland over the past few days. Here with me today, we have Wing Commander Andy McIntyre, Officer Commanding 24 Squadron and Squadron Leader Jim Roden. Officer Commanding of the Hercules Flight within 24 Squadron of the RAF. We're here in the crew room right now of Exercise Tartan Spirit. 
Welcome, gentlemen. Pleasure to be here. And first, we'll go on to Jim. Please tell us who you are. Yeah, I'm uh, squadron leader Jim Rodden, uh, officer commanding Hercules Fly 24 Squadron, Bryce Norton. We entered the fly on uh, Tartan Spirit with uh, two Hercs up here at Presswick. The aim for the week primarily is to qualify new crews in mountain flying so we can hand them over to the front line, 47 Squadron, fully prepared for any operations that are thrown at them, such as the most recent uh, operation of pitting. We also have several secondary aims on the exercise itself. We look to complete ground training of onload and offload, rapid onload and offload of pallets and essential equipment. And this exercise in particular, we're operating in and out of a place called West Fruit to exercise the agile basing concept. Further activity on the exercise is flying down to 150 feet in designated areas in the UK, which is known as operational low flying. And this allows uh, frontline crews to avoid detection by enemy radar for any specific uh, bespoke jobs that come up. There's also other training for ground elements, such as ops staff setting up an agile basing uh, ops room. And the load masters conduct ground training with their students and amongst other things. And then on this exercise as well, we also have uh, two squadron RAF regiment involved. So quite a lot going on. Yes. Yeah, quite a lot of team building, I believe. One thing that is very interesting is the Hercules. What is the benefit of having the Hercules here on such an excess? Yeah, so it's a really useful setup in terms of our ops room is five minutes walk from the aircraft. So the students can plan and they can walk straight out to the aircraft and get in the aircraft and start doing the checks quite early. So that's actually quite a large time saver. Also, the facilities here at Presswick are fantastic. We've got several briefing rooms. We've got um, deployed kit like projectors to deliver ground school, things like that. But also, we're close to the mountains, so the, the biggest factor is rather than flying an hour and a half from Bryce, we're right in the mountains already, so we can get amongst it straight away. And then, finally, the tactical training areas, 14 Tango and 20 Tango, they're right on the doorstep as well, so we can get into the upload flying with minimal flying. Mm-hmm. And I believe you cleared down to 150 feet for that. 150 feet, yeah, which is more or less the wingspan of the aircraft. Interesting. Thank you, Jim. So, Jim just explained to us what Tartan Spirit is, and it's 24 Squadron who are the operating squadron for this exercise. So, Wing Commander Andy, tell us about 24 Squadron as a whole. What do you guys do for the RAF, and what role do you play uh, on a daily basis within the RAF? Hi, yeah, so 24 Squadron is the Air Mobility Force Operational Conversion Unit. So we're based at Bryce. We train all aircrew and engineers onto initial conversion onto C-130, A-400 and C-17. And we do a lot of um, the applied courses as well. So when you learn a new skill, we'll teach it. And then it's up to the front line to employ that and keep it um, developing and contextualize it moving forward. So we do that using simulators at Bryce and obviously the live aircraft, some of which we brought with us this week, but whom uh, the engineers on the frontline squadrons uh, supply and make ready. Uh, and we bid into that along with any operational commitments they may have. 24 is a really diverse squadron. So apart from the three platforms, I've already mentioned the engineers, but we train you know, all, all of the initial um, skill sets for that. We support a lot of third-party training, so with movement, with um, medics, TAC Medwing, for example, will come in at weekends, a lot of reservists as well. 
and they'll use our synthetic equipment with our load masters to familiarize themselves and keep their skill set running. We also train our own instructors from scratch. So we're CFS, Central Fine School Accredited, which basically means we can grow our own instructors and pull them right through to A2. And um, just this last week, one of our load masters was awarded his A2. So that's happening, but that's enabled through our instructor development flight. So we have a couple of real legends that are Chartered Management Institute, CMI accredited, which means that they can help with the coaching and mentoring and really kind of help with the development pathway. We always sort of have a, you know, the strongest of relationships with a variety of, of elements. But um, I think one thing we try and the front line would always lose to us probably their best operators. And they will see, you know, the loss of a, an above average captain or, um, or load master or, or engineer. We see them as um, on day one, you know, a, a below average instructor. And it's our job to develop them through the next stage of their career so they can help generate the future generation of aircrew and engineers. Yes, I believe. Like you say, it's a very diverse squadron. You yourself fly the C-17, the A-400 and the C-130, is that correct? Yeah, so I'm in a really privileged position. So I I was effectively brought up on the C-17 as a co-pilot and a captain and a flight commander. In the middle of there somewhere, I did a QFI tour on Takano up at Linton News. So when I was selected for 24, that was what I brought. I did an A-400 OCU and then um, I did a brief refresher on C-17 what they call a senior officer course, so a familiarization course on the C-130. It basically means that whilst I'm a captain on A400, I can fly with QFIs on my previous type and the C-130, which is so diverse, I can um, you know, be flying on any one of the types. And it's the way I work with my people and get to see you know, how they are and ask those kind of far-reaching questions that maybe the students are afraid to ask and try and sort of... What we're trying to do as well is pull them all together. So you know, the Air Mobility Force as we've just seen in Afghanistan, is one entity. It's comprised of fleets. The Voyager fleets are in there as well. And it's all about pushing good knowledge, good practice around the whole force so we can all improve and take you know, the good bits from others and bring the whole force along to work as one coherent entity. Yeah. So with a focus on three platforms as a squadron and training flight crew for three separate aircraft types, is there at the minute with ongoing should we say withdrawal of the Hercules, is there a focus shift? Is the focus always the same level towards each platform or is right now the focus of 24 to bring the A400 to the same level of capability as the Hercules, basically filling the Hercules' boots, which are a big pair of boots to fill, but is that the focus at the minute or is it still all same level of focus on each platform? So where the everybody's force is going is everybody has to be able to operate in Class A airspace, international airports with airliners, with, you know, with civilians going on holiday or business around the world. So that's a core skill. But we really focus on the tactical bit at the end, whether that's air-to-air refueling for the Voyager um, force or whether that's airdrop, tactical air land. So you're landing on a, an austere strip like we've set up at West Free this week or anywhere else and really sort of focusing on the military side of, um, of air mobility. So with a focus on that, what we're calling the, you know, the green aspects of our job, the C-130, the A-400 and the C-17 all have various capabilities they can bring in, whether that's from parachuting right through to landing on a short field, semi-prepared runway. And we're trying to exploit to the maximum the benefits of each platform. So it could be that a C-17 needs to take in an outsized load a long way away. It could be that the A-400 flies low level to achieve that. So 
they all have their own unique aspects that hopefully offer a, a bag of tools to defense for whatever they need on the day. Yeah, totally understandable. So what is Tartan Spirits bringing to 24 Squadron in your opinion? So Tartan Spirits traditionally, is, as Jim said, a C-130 OCU exercise. And over the past year, we've enhanced it with bringing in movement training for engine running offloads with A400 involvement from last summer. What we're doing this time is we've really supercharged it in that we've opened up West through just over the weekend as a, um, a tactical landing area. So, Andy, what does Exercise Tartan Spirit bring to 24 Squadron? It brings a lot to 24 Squadron. It, it also brings a lot to border mobility force and, um, and defence. So it's... It's historically been one to three times a year. It's um, a C-130 OCU exercise, as um, Jim's already said. Um, over the past year, we've we've just added layers and layers. So we took um, engine running offload, which was a, a skill that we thought was fading a little bit. So we've um, we, we brought movement teams up from guys to um, to support that training. And then we've had an aspiration for a while that we could only really do with um, you know post COVID with um, setting up a. a a forward operating base um, just down the road at West Fruit. So over this last weekend, we took um, a disused, isolated former RF station with not very much there at all and um, turned it into an airfield within 24 hours using tactical um, air traffic control, tactical fire, one air, uh, air mobility wing um, and um, force protection from two squadron Royal Air Force Regiment. So it's about six months in the planning and... Um, Everybody brought their own training objectives to the table and we we did our level best to satisfy all of them. And I, I think we did. Um, but the kind of the key bit is that working together, we've we've, we've all achieved far more um, than, than our individual aspects. So, for example, the um, we've tried to get most squadrons at, at, um, within the Embability Force involved. It's not been possible. You know, we're still in the aftermath of uh, the recovery phase of the Afghanistan withdrawal. This is just a training exercise, ultimately. But um, we, we, you know, we've done really, really well. Um, we're just hoping that C-17 can come into West through and that will complete the set um, with air-to-air refueling as well with the Voyager. Um, obviously, with C-130 and A-400 up here already as organic. So pretty much touch all, touched all frontline flying squadrons, um, all of our enablers, um, and uh, with the support of, of everybody in Bryce Norton as well. So it's... You know, it's an organic exercise, but it's um, the collective training value is immense, and it, it the benefits to defence that you know we've proven that over a weekend we can set up an airfield from scratch and operate from it and sustain it for a week, and that unlocks so much potential in terms of what what could come in and take fuel, take data, yeah. um, take um, take munitions to go and um, operate further afield. It's all about extending the global reach of. Um, at West Through, has there been any simulated threats? Is it like have you been saying, right, we've got two adverse aircraft in the radius? Has there been anything like that? Yeah, so um, just um, as a routine mission when we're training the OCU students, um, as you saw earlier with the tour around the aircraft, we, we create a scenario where we can activate threats, um, simulate activated threats, and the students have to plot them on the charts, uh, avoid them, um, think about them, potentially put them in the kit, uh, think about the sort of problem solving in 3D, you know, whether they can fly around it, over it, 
whether they can use a different tactic or effect, uh, fly a bit lower, terrain mask, etc. Um, so one of the scenarios, for example, is um, we've got some pallets on the back. So this is what we've used this week. We've got about five tons worth of freight on the back. We're going to fly into West Broome. We're going to offload that. Uh, involve the, the ground teams for that, get their training. Um, but also that will be through enemy WESs, weapon engagement zones and things like that, um, to get that objective achieved, to uh, achieve that resupply and, and the effect on the ground. And then the crews, depending on how kind the QFIs want to be, um, you know, they might activate some more airspace afterwards and they'll have to fight their way back out of that airspace to recover via maybe another objective back to Presswick. So yeah, we do we do uh, play scenarios in more or less every sortie that we fly in. Excellent. Yeah, I must uh, apologise guys. Like we said, it is a C-130 exercise and there is a C-130 currently just going out on a and a training mission. So yeah, this uh, really proves the uh, the level of flying and uh, how busy uh, the RAF are on this exercise. So if you do hear a bit of background noise, I do apologise. But yeah, thank you again very much, Jim and Andy, for this. And uh, it's been it's really great to be here. So thank you very much. Thank you. For our listeners, if you'd like to know more about the topics discussed today and all the rest of the news from the air and space domains, please visit the Key Aero and Air International websites. But for now, until next week, thanks for tuning in. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.